Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. It's key earlier this morning with the big question being, what? and it needs to be broached to a degree, uh-huh. to any extent, have the Patriots' way lost their way to any Man, extent? I, I can't. I'm with you. It's like the dude just won a Super Bowl. The other guy didn't make the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, the Patriots have lost their way. What do you mean, Zubin, you're with him? What do you mean? I, I just think you got to preach a little patience. We'll get right into it here. So, By the way, this entire segment is going to be about people and teams that some people think are underachieving. Jay Billis is going to join us from College Game Day in 10 minutes to talk about why all of college basketball's legendary programs are floundering this year. What's going on? The NFL's most legendary franchise of the last two decades, undoubtedly the Pats. Let's set it up. Let's set up this morning's conversation by going to yesterday. Fellas, if we do have this, we do or don't? We do. Here we go. This is Jay going at it with Christian Fourier, two-time Super Bowl champions. You decide if I'm being overly dramatic there. He played for Bill, two Super Bowls, Yesterday, when Jay broached, uh, you know, Tom held up his end of it. Bill, well, take a listen. When do we start talking about Bill Belichick potentially oh, no. on the hot seat? Oh, no. I know. I'm at, I got to ask it. Look I got to ask. You. I just got to ask it. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying. Just it's saying. So you know how early. media gets. It's so early. All right, Jay. Go for I, it. I, I, love, I, love, I love how we clip off the conversation and we just use the question insinuating that I'm calling for Bill Belichick to be on the hot seat. Look, Jay, go I, be every other athlete and say you were taken out of context. I've heard yeah. that a million times. I mean, like, hey, you asked up the one question, hey, man, like, like the media ask, and it's like, hey, Jay's saying he's on the hot yeah, seat. Yeah, that's what you said, there. Jay. I heard it myself. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the power of media. All I was saying, I was curious to hear Christian's beep, thought. Beep, on, no, no, I'm not beeping on it. I wonder like, how long is the roadway that Bill Belichick does have. And, and Zubin, I'm, okay, I'm with you, preaching patience. But if expectations are to win championships, and you're talking about Bill Belichick being 69 years old, how much longer do you give him if they have marginal seasons before you're looking at Josh McDaniel saying, how, what's the reason for Josh McDaniels coming back in the first place? Like, and, and is this organization going to, if they don't get the results pretty soon within a year or two, are you looking at Josh McDaniel saying, is it time to have a new POV? with how this franchise needs to be ran. And it's not saying that you're not thankful for everything that Bill Belichick has brought to the table. It's not saying you're not thankful for having the greatest quarter, uh, the greatest quarterback and coach combination of all time and individually the greatest quarterback and individually the greatest coach. But when do you look for a new style to be implemented if this style doesn't seem this Patriot way that has gotten amplified and taken to a different level by Tom Brady? Um, and it feels like we're watching the Tom Brady way now. I wonder what happens to the Patriot way if Bill Belichick can sustain that. That's all I was asking. You know, I can I can break it all the way down a lot of different ways from where they were at this year to Cam Newton getting COVID to other guys opting out before the seat. It's a lot of different ways you can couch it. And in the end, they still had a shot at making the playoffs. I, I just look. Tom Brady found the right team for him with the right personnel for him. New England's personnel was not great this year. And Bill Belichick would be the first to tell you that. As he said earlier in the season, as people started to take this particular road, is that the cap did some things to them that didn't allow them to retool in situations. That's not an excuse. He drafted poorly in places. He wasted a pick on on uh, uh, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. Julian Edelman gets hurt. 
I mean, when you start to look at a lot of the different things that happened to the organization, I wouldn't be quick to say that they're running out of steam up in New England. I would be quick to say they're in a rebuilding, shuffle the deck, get the right cards out there to compete for the next several years. That's what I would look at. Yes, Tom Brady was a key component to what they've done over the last, or what they did over the last 20 years. There's no question about that. But at the same time, Bill Belichick picked a whole lot of them awesome players from Richard Seymour's of the world to coaching up Teddy Bruschi. Mind you, he was part of that drafted part of that coaching staff that drafted Willie McGinnis, Tyler, Ty, uh, Ty Law and lawyer Malloy and Teddy Bruschi and those guys. Mm-hmm. He reaped it. He reaped those benefits, but then he coached them up along the way. So he did play a, a role and a part in that. And when you look at the Dion branches of the world, he was a part of that trading for Randy Moss and getting the most out of Moss that Moss was so great for them. Even though they didn't win a championship, they played in the Super Bowl. Or you look at the Christian Fourier's of the world. He was a part. That wasn't Tom Brady. Tom Brady was just a quarterback. And at the end, he uh, needs to find, he needs to find a guy, a quarterback, but a whole bunch of other players as well. And I know the way it looks, they are very bad. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. So it looks as though, Tom took everything that he had and went to Tampa Bay with it and left Bill Belichick with nothing. They didn't have nothing to start with. That's why Tom decided that he was going to go south to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Agree, and I'm with you. All I'm saying is when your head coach is also your general manager and he's making those personnel decisions, there has to be – you have to put that into the – you have to factor that into the equation. No, no, question, no question about it, Jay. Sometimes when you have the luxury of having a Tom Brady – you may not, you know, feel the, 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 the selections the way you would if you didn't have a Tom Brady. Instead of drafting a guy so low because you could get, based on the makeup of your team, he fits and plugs in the right way. Maybe your approach to spending less money on players was fine then. Now you have to spend more money on outside free agents because you got to get better players instead of guys that you could just plug in. Those days may be gone for Bill Belichick, and maybe he decides with this salary cap, I need to address and go get an Allen Robinson at receiver. I may go out there and really make a strong push for this quarterback or this left tackle opposed to finding low-hanging fruit and maximizing that low-hanging fruit for one or two or three years and then going getting low-hanging fruit again for one or two, three years. I'm just curious, who's their lightning rod moving forward? And I think that's going to be a big question for that. Like, can they get a guy like Marcus Mariota? Is that a guy that can take them to new heights? Like, there's, there's a player or two that you have to respect that say, hey, th- this is, these are transformative-type players. And right now, I don't see any of those players on their roster. I would say a couple of things here. Number one, the biggest thing that they're going to have to do this year is they are known, well-known, for trading back in the draft to accumulate picks. That's a classic Belichick move, right? When you're picking 32 all the time. But, this time around, you, you though, do that when you have Tom Brady. I got you. But this time around, you're picking in the top 15, and they would be wise to pick at 15. Here's the other thing. Well, maybe under- not, though. If they, if they select the right people, they can move back. As long as, you, as long as you get the right guys. If you don't get the right guys then it doesn't matter. I'm with you. Dak's in the fourth round. Russ is in the third round. Jimmy G was in the second round. I'm just saying the quarterback was in the sixth round. Sixth round. The percentages do say, though, that you can get an impact player. You have a better chance if you're in a better position. So trading back when you need an impact player. Here's the other thing I would say about Belichick that he doesn't get a lot of credit for. You mentioned all the guys that they drafted. 
it's not just the development of the players. It's having the foresight that nobody else in the league had, okay? Because everybody went to go visit Julian Edelman or see him, and they said to him, yeah, bro, you're not a quarterback anymore, right? You're, he's a college quarterback. And they went to him and essentially said, this is what they said to him. Before he became a wide receiver, they said, we know how you can make this team. And he said, how? I want to play in the NFL. I'm a Mac kid. I mean, at Subway. I mean, a turkey sub, apple slices, and two chocolate chip cookies. That's what he's eating every day. He said, how can I make the NFL? He goes, you're going to be a return guy for us. You're yeah. going to play special teams. You've got great hands. You're a quarterback. But you're not a quarterback in this league, son. I'm sorry. He they didn't even look at him as a wide receiver. They said, you can help us. I don't know how much you can help us, but we're he's a good, better. Because he's a good football player. That takes a mm-hmm. lot to see, though. Yeah. Right? You're a quarterback, but we want you to play special teams for us, and then you morph. Another example is Deion Branch. The amount, that guy was so versatile. I don't think people remember Troy Brown. I mean, yeah. the way the, these two guys were versatile, because these are the earlier Pats championship teams, people are not thinking about him. So I just or want to say. Malcolm Butler that they didn't draft, that they found right. and took him in free agency and turned out to be the, 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 the guy who won the Super Bowl for he him. He made one of the biggest plays in NFL history. That's not a joke. I mean, it was yes. one of the biggest plays in NFL yes. history. So I just want to put that on for Bill. There's developing guys, and then there's doing, then there's digging to the next level, yeah. which is looking at a guy and saying, I have, you're a pile of clay. I don't know how we're going to mold you, but when we mold you, we're better off having you than not having you. And as you've said, teams are made up of mid-round draft picks, all that stuff. Yeah. Did they miss on Chad Jackson? Yes. Did they miss on Nikhil Chad Harry? Jackson. You remember Chad Jackson, the old wide receiver. Florida. Yeah. yeah. Did they miss on Chad? Yeah. Did they miss on Nikhil Harry? Yes. They missed on all these people. They miss but, on They miss on everybody guys. everybody is missing on guys. Yes. But the way that they have basically taken certain guys and said, I see something. Here. But they, that but, is huge to me. But they hit on Hightower, the linebacker. Dante Hightower. Dante Hightower. Uh, what's the linebacker that, that uh, that's the DC now? Cold Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo. They hit on. I mean, there, there's guys that they Patrick Chung. They've hit on guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Asante Samuel. They hit on guys. Yeah. But some guys you miss on, and he gets he gets basically raked over the coals for missing on guys because he's gone to what 13 championship games and. Won six Super Bowls, so everything that he's supposed to touch is supposed to be turned into gold. Hell, he hit on Tom Brady. Yeah, he hit. Think about that. If if if, if everybody was so smart, how come nobody else got him and drafted him? If all these other dudes were so smart. What's that line from Batman that Bart used yesterday, Zubin? You know, either you know, if you stay the hero long enough, you stay around to become the villain. All, all, all I'm saying, and I probably butchered the line. That's okay. But I, I just I wonder it, since the expectation internally and outwardly in New England is championship or bust. It feels like every single year, right? I, I know you have to recalibrate those expectations, and I know that Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time in the NFL, deserves that time. But if that's the bar that's been set all the time, if you start getting below that bar consistently. There will be talk. Well, that bar, there Jay, will be talk. That bar is gone, man. You might as well take that. The, all but it's six, not key. All that's you who trophies, knows. That's you, you need who, to package that up and put that in a closet and see, start fresh. But that's because you. Because you it's see a football. different world. You see football and you're in it. Most people aren't in it. Most people who start the outside chatter see the Super Bowls. They see, and if they keep seeing Tom Brady win, I know you're not going to find that to be a relevant conversation. But people are going to start making that narrative, and that's going to become a bigger and bigger and bigger he, thing. He, they have to do a better job of assembling the talent. They just need to do a better job of assembling the talent. If you took Bill Belichick and dropped him in Tampa, they might go undefeated, man. You just you, you the, the talent. Like there's nobody 
right now at the skill positions for the New England Patriots that could take anybody's spot at the skill positions for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not one dude. I wouldn't trade one dude for the other dudes in New England at the skill spot. Not one. I don't know about that, Key, because I I, I, scheme-wise – Potentially, yes. I'm not sure a lot of guys on that Tampa Bay team would want to play for Bill Belichick. No, no, no. no. I.e. the greatest quarterback and Rob Gronkowski. Man, you're going to play for a dude. You're going to play for a dude that can win you championships. I don't give a damn what you say. You're going to play for him. I don't care how hard he is. I mean, he, you know, Tom Brady play chose to, yes. to leave, though. Speaking After of 20 Batman. years, yeah, it wore you out. Speaking of Batman, I loved when uh, Bruce Wayne told uh, – Told Alfred to put more cheese on my taco. That, that's, I think that's the bar. Alfred, get me more cheese on this taco. You looking courtesy. for Alfred now? You want an Alfred in your house? No. I can't afford one. you got a big enough house, you need an Alfred. The Patriots missed the playoffs this season, snapping an 11-year playoff streak. During those 11 appearances, they won three Super Bowls and five trips, eight conference championship games. Stats Incredible brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. And what is happening to the blue bloods of college basketball, frankly, is... Incredible. Jay Billis is next on the Goodyear Hotline. He played at Duke, and I'm sure he heard and saw this last night. Eight on the shot clock. Hub to the left of the top of the key. His deep three. Got it! And Notre Dame leads by five. 90-85. Timeout, Duke. Wow! <laughs> All part of an Irish win. And with that... A season that's become a head-scratcher, but really not so much. I've always believed that if your team is full of young guys and guys are emotional and this is an unprecedented time for anybody that's 18 to 22 and they haven't been able to assimilate the way normal college kids have, you're going to struggle, especially with the Blue Bloods that rely on those types of players. Duke fell 93-89. They are under 500. They are 7-8 and eight and 5-6 and six in the ACC. Jay, good morning. They're, of course, not the only story. We pretty much know what's happened to Michigan State this year. North Carolina's at a disappointing year. Kansas out of the poll for the first time in a record 231 weeks. That goes back to 08-09, the year after they won the championship for Bill Self. I'm going to throw Indiana in there as well. They haven't been the same since Archie got there. Um, what is happening this year in particular that has had all these teams at the top of the poll just struggling night in and night out? Yeah, it's just an odd confluence of events. It's not any one thing. I mean, I think the easy narrative is to say that, that uh, you know, the one and done doesn't work. The, the teams are young. This proves it. Experience wins, which, you know, look, I don't know any endeavor in which experience is not valuable. I've not gotten on an airplane when they say, hey, look, this pilot really talented, but first flight, you know, and I felt comfortable. You'd rather have experience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, nobody said all that stuff when Kentucky and Duke were, were winning like crazy with almost nothing but young players and getting to Final Fours. And, and, you know, since 2010, Kentucky and Duke have won the most NCAA tournament games, the most Elite Eights, the most Sweet Sixteens, the most Final Fours, all that stuff. So, you know, Kansas is an older team. They're not, they're not our normal Kansas. And Michigan State's a normal team. Or, uh, they're, they're an older team. And, you know, they're not winning. It's just an odd, like the, the younger players that Duke has and that, uh, that Kentucky has, they just aren't as good as some of the younger players they've had in the past. So, so there's a difference between young talent and young super talent. They've got young talent, but they don't have young super talent like they've had in the past. JB, is it right the amount of pressure put on these young adults? And I, I won't refer to them as kids because I think you're absolutely spot on with this young adults, especially considering that Miami, uh, North Carolina game that was postponed the other day due to, you know, the young adults partying after the Duke, North Carolina game when North Carolina won. Do you feel like the amount of pressure put on kids is the correct way to go about this? 
Well, I don't have a problem with it, Jay. It just seems that that we're we're like talking out of both sides of our mouths in this thing. You know, on, on one hand, you know, we talk about this being college sports and at the beginning of the pandemic. And look, this is difficult for everybody. There's nobody has all the right answers. I'm not suggesting anybody does. But at the beginning of all this, you know, the NCAA said no, no students on campus, no college sports. That's not what we're about. And then, you know, they, they said uh, we will never play in bubbles. We are not the NBA. And there are no students on campus, and they're flying all over the country when the government's telling us, you know, don't travel unless it's essential. And uh, and we're playing in bubbles. Like, the players, as you know, are in isolation. The Duke players, and this, this happens at a bunch of schools, they've been living in a hotel since uh, August. And they're all in isolation, let out of the pen only to go to practice and to go back into the gym where they have their online classes, things like that. So, you know, look, they're not they're not – you know, in a penitentiary or anything, nobody's suggesting that, but it isn't easy. And the real threats to their health and safety are the coaches and staff because they go home at night and interact with their families who go in all their separate directions. And, you know, so the North Carolina players made a mistake, you know, but they've been eight months in isolation. And, you know, they have to come out and apologize and everybody's talking about, you know, there'll be severe consequences for them. And, you know, I don't, I don't hear anybody saying, well, hey, wait a minute, this coach got the virus. Where are the severe consequences for them? Um, what, what this lays bare is that that this entire multi-billion-dollar entertainment industry rides on the shoulders of the players, and the players have to be in isolation, or it's not going to work. And 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 we rationalize it by saying, well, they want to, you know, it's voluntary. They want to, therefore, it's okay. And it just goes against what the narrative has been all this time. I'm okay with it, but we just ought to, ought to admit we're, that we're doing this for money. And, uh, and look, I, we all do things for money. It's okay, but, but we need to admit it. Let's talk about doing things for money. It's obviously to get to the final goal, which is March Madness. But before we get there, you have to go through your conference tournament. So a team like Baylor, who's postponed three games, uh, three more games already, it, what's the, how do you feel about this narrative that's starting to build about teams saying, hey, I don't want to really compete in my conference tournament if that increases the risk of my kids getting infected, and that means we won't participate, won't be able to participate or have the best chance to win March Madness, which is obviously the ultimate goal. Yeah, Jay, it's the same, same analysis that we're talking out of both sides of our mouths, and now the narrative's changing. You know, we're moving, to mix a sports metaphor, we're moving the goalposts now again. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, hey, the kids want to play. This is about competition. They deserve the chance to compete, and they just want to play. And now it's, wait a minute. And then everybody said, look, it's safe. Like, we've got all these protocols. It's safe. And now it's not safe to play against your own conference members that are uh, in the same protocols as you have agreed to the same protocols as you have because now you're worried about the risk of the NCAA tournament. Well, that goes against the narrative that, that we've had. And, and opting out, like, well, it's funny, earlier in the year when I and others had brought up sort of, we need to discuss this, not, not whether we can play, but whether we should. And nobody said it was wrong for us to play or we should pause or stop playing, but we need to discuss it. And, uh, and everybody, you know, we were shut down by people saying, and a lot of coaches saying, hey, you can opt out if you, if you want to. Um, you know, any team doesn't want to play, opt out. And that includes the media. I even had one coach say that includes the media. You don't, want to, you don't want to be a part of this? Opt out, which I found to be a rather dismissive way to handle something instead of just discussing the underlying. Well, now, you know, that's the same thing. Like, if you want to opt out of the season, opt out. You don't get to opt out of this game versus that game. Now, if you've got a, if you've got a health and safety concern 
that, that you think it's an unreasonable health condition or safety condition, then address that condition, see if you can cure it. And, uh, but, but if it's not safe for you, it's not safe for anybody else. So that's a different deal. But there, nobody's saying that. They're saying we don't want to do it because we don't want to risk the next game, the next competition. And I don't think that's what competitors do. I don't think they pick and choose where they play. They play uh, the scheduled games as they come up. And I, I think if I were the NCAA uh, selection committee, the tournament committee that runs the whole thing, uh, I would have come out already and say if, if you're eligible to play in your conference tournament and you don't, you're not going to be eligible to play in the NCAA tournament because that that's a, a competitive a competitive issue and an integrity of the tournament issue. Because if say Gonzaga, which everybody's talking about, if Gonzaga doesn't play in their tournament, then a team that otherwise wouldn't have made it might win the conference championship, and it knocks out another team that would have made it as not large. And that's a competitive integrity issue. Jay Billis, uh, ESPN League college basketball analyst, joining us on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. Jay, let me ask you this. Many people probably aren't familiar with Jalen Green, who is in the G League. How, how has this changed the upcoming NBA draft, and what should we see coming out of the G League from him? I don't know, Key, that it's changed the NBA draft process all that much because uh, being in the G League, playing for that Ignite team, uh, the guys that have, have decided not to go to college to go into the G League are going to be seen probably more in the G League than they would be seen if they had gone overseas. And they, they get seen a lot overseas anyway because scouting is so good now. Um, it's just that they're not going to be quite as well-known by the rank and file that watch more college basketball. And uh, so, the, you know, in the NCAA tournament for most people is where, uh, you know, sort of the masses see a guy like John Morant from Murray State, where we talked about him all year long, but people weren't watching Murray State. The, the, the overwhelming majority of fans weren't watching that, so they saw him in the NCAA tournament more so. Uh, so it might affect his name recognition, but I don't think it's going to affect the way NBA teams look at him. But those franchise, as you know, it's the same, I think it's the same in football. They, they know everything about these players. And it's hard to make judgments as to how good a player is going to be and all that stuff in any sport. And it's a little more difficult, I think, in basketball because we don't have as much data as you do. In football, you've got at least three years of college. In basketball, you've got one, if that. Uh, so you don't have quite as much data. So there's a little more guesswork. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they'll, they'll, know, they'll know everything they need to know as if you went to college. I don't think it'll be that much of a difference. Real quick before I let you get out of here, Jason Williams stole this award uh, many years ago, the <laughs> National Player of the Year Award. Who's the guy right now for you? Oh, it's Luca Garza of Iowa. There's no, he'll get it uh, in a walk. And it doesn't mean that he's going to be the best pro because he's not going to be. But he's been the best college player. And, uh, heck, you know, the big news is he had two games in a row where he scored under 20 points, and I, I expect the earth to spin off its axis after that happened. But, but he, he's the best player, and, uh, and I think he'll get it. No okay. doubt. You can make the argument. I know Obi was great last year. You could have made the argument for Garza strongly last year to go back-to-back. That's just my opinion. ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year Award, as Key said, which Jay actually has normally behind Stole. him each morning right over that left shoulder. Jay JB, really, yeah, JB, w- Wingsman, Wingsman, you owe me two shots, JB. <laughs> 
Wingspan, hey, uh, Jay, when's your new show going to start? I want to listen to it. <laughs> you are the worst. See, Key, these are the jabs I used to deal with all the time, which really makes me feel comfortable. By Shots the way. fired, Jay on Jay. And lastly, I would just say with no <laughs> geographical footprint for Gonzaga or anybody else this year, with everybody going to Indy, another reason the conference tournaments may not mean as much. You're not playing to stay west. Everybody's going to the Midwest. Jay, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, guys. Oh, Always good. a pleasure. Thank you. Can't wait till that show starts. Jay, let me know when that show starts. I'll be in on it. Hey, man, what happened to the trophy that you usually put right no, over your there. head? I think it's there. Go wide on Jay, folks, if we can. Oh, come on, there man. It is. Oh, it's there the it is. Office. Okay. You know, it's, it's right there. On uh, the way. Carlos Boozer on two. <laughs> on the way. <laughs> Mr. Battier, on the way. Todd McShay, draft 2.0. Wait till you see how many quarterbacks he has at the top. That's next on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin ESPN Radio and the app. Wednesday, the football conversation continues looking back on the Super Bowl and ahead to who will win next year's Tony Dungy's got all the answers. I'll be asking the questions. Don't miss it. Greeny, starting 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Good morning. I'm Zubin Mahenti here with your Sports Center update. NFL draft talk coming in one minute. Hang with me. Hang with us. Nets have lost their third straight. They couldn't hang with the Detroit Pistons. This is a true story from last night. A 122 111 loss. Pistons are 6 18. Nets just can't be losing games like this. I know the Nets are not fully equipped, but still, the Nets have dropped their third straight. They're under 500 against teams that are under 500. Strange. 7 11. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is going to have toe surgery today. That's what all the reputable reports out there say. He'll be ready to go by training camp, but it's noteworthy because you saw how it did compromise him a little bit in both the AFC title game and the Super Bowl. Black history always, Naomi Osaka won the 2020 U.S. Open. That was the last tennis major played until the Aussie Open began in Melbourne. You can see every point of the Aussie Open. On ESPN Network, she did use Osaka, her platform, after winning to talk about police brutality like many athletes did. And another young African-American tennis superstar in action tonight as part of ESPN2's coverage. That would be Coco Golf. And Sports Center is brought to you by 1-800-Flowers. For all your last-minute Valentine's Day needs, head to 1-800-Flowers. Right now, get 24 multicolored roses for $34.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. To order, you can go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Just click the radio icon and enter the code. K 
WJZ. It's a pleasure to welcome in Todd McShay on the Goodyear Hotline. His mock draft 2.0 is out, and you can read it right now on ESPN+. Plus. But he's with us at the moment, so let's just talk about it. Todd joins us this morning. Todd, um, a little bit of a change from mock draft 1 to 2. Take me inside, reel off every pick until we're done with quarterbacks starting at the top. <laughs> well, number one, no surprise. Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, he's going to be the number one pick. And Urban Meyer doesn't take the head coaching job at Jacksonville if he, he doesn't have a quarterback that's a, a once-in-a-decade type of prospect coming out of college at that position. Number two is when I think the kind of the draft starts, if you will. The Jets, I have them taking Zach Wilson. The BYU quarterback, who after studying all the tape of these top prospects at the quarterback spot, I think based purely off of film that it's Lawrence, then there's a little gap, then Zach Wilson, then there's a gap, and then it's Trey Lance from North Dakota State, and Justin Fields from Ohio State is that third tier, if you will. Uh, But I, I have Wilson going too, and the interesting part here is it could be to the Jets, if New York is able to to move Sam Darnold and get some some draft capital for him, maybe a third round pick this year or first or second round pick next year, um, but if they stay there and 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 wind up or if they don't move Darnold, then I think they wind up moving out of that spot is what I should say. And and in that case, it could be a team like Carolina moving up from eight to two to go get Zach Wilson. So moving Wilson to two was more about Wilson being clearly the number two quarterback prospect in this class and if it's not the Jets it could be another team moving into that spot to go get him then after Wilson I've got Trey Lance from North Dakota State and Justin Fields from Ohio State as the next two quarterbacks off the board I had Carolina moving up from eight to three with in a trade with uh, Miami in order to go get Lance it could be Fields there I have almost identical grades on the two but Matt Rule told me at the senior bowl and his defensive coordinator and another assistant coach they all said the same thing we feel like we have a playoff roster outside of the quarterback position. We lost eight games last year by one score. And if we have a quarterback that can make that drive in the fourth quarter, we got a chance to be a really competitive football team. So I think they're going to be aggressive in terms of going up and getting the guy that they want at that position. And then finally, I don't know that Atlanta's going to take a quarterback with Matt Ryan having one or two good years left and having all that cap space that he's eating up for Atlanta if they wind up moving him. But, but Atlanta could look for the future of that position, and it could be Justin Fields at that spot if he's still available at number four. And if not, Atlanta moves down, and another team like uh, San Francisco, possibly Dallas, possibly Chicago at 20, Indianapolis at 21. We have to see where all the dominoes fall with the veteran quarterbacks between now and the draft. But there are going to be several teams that need a quarterback that could be looking to move up to go get that guy come draft weekend. Hey, uh, Todd, you know, you've been covering the draft for, I don't know, 20 years, whatever. It's been a very long time. Let's put it that way. I've been around football for a very long time. <laughs> and every single year around this time, we move quarterbacks up. This year is Zach Wilson. And, and why is that? And then later on, we revisit these things two or three years down the line. And that quarterback that was moved up doesn't necessarily pan out the way that we all expected. Came April. Yeah, but sometimes it does, Key. You know, it, it, listen, but there are always mistakes, and sometimes it's not even a mistake. Sometimes it's, it's thrusting a quarterback into a situation where they don't have enough around them to be successful early in their career. They get beat up. They lose confidence and, and so on and so forth. But 
with Zach Wilson, and I'll say this, it's difficult to evaluate because he did not play the competition level that Justin Fields played at Ohio State. He did not play as many games as Justin Fields did in the last two years, and he was injured a year ago with a shoulder and thumb, in, thumb injuries that, that prevented him from playing in some games. So, But you look at his physical traits. I'm not saying he's Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or even Baker Mayfield, but he's, he's got that creative ability, the ability to extend plays, the ability to change arm angles, and he just has a natural feel and instinct for the game. He's a playmaker. And that's what you're looking for at this position, especially now in the NFL, a guy who can go beyond the initial play and create something when that initial play breaks down. And that's why just studying his tape this year, even though it wasn't against elite competition, it wasn't against Alabama or Clemson or even a Northwestern like Fields did, I I see the traits in him to be a special player at the next level. Todd, let me ask you this. You said that it goes Trevor Lawrence – and then there's a, a, a big gap, then Zach Wilson, and then a slight gap, then Trey Lance. What makes Trey Lance better than Justin Fields? And Toby got just like one minute. Yeah. Yeah, Trey Lance, is, Trey Lance is difficult to evaluate as well. He had one game this year that was basically created for him to go showcase, and he didn't play all that well. But you go back to 2019 and study his tape. Big, sturdy, strong, strong arm, mobile, can extend and create as well. I think he and Fields are very similar The slight separation, I would say, is that I see in Lance the ability to process things quicker, meaning he can go from his first read to his second to his third read and sees the whole field a little bit better than what I've seen from from Justin Fields. So that's why I put him slightly ahead. But, you know, everyone's yelling at me saying, how do you have Justin Fields from Ohio State going number four overall, the fourth quarterback? He's still going number four overall. And I still have a very high grade on him, but I think Lance is probably the most underrated quarterback in this year's draft class because we haven't seen him in the last year, and nobody really watched his games in the FCS level. Right, mm-hmm. 17 careers. Yeah, scored. why do you have him going number four? <laughs> it's 2021. <laughs> there he is. There he is. I was waiting, kid. As Todd said, it's 2021. The only way people can talk to you is to scream at you. That's the way <laughs> we are today. Todd's going to be on SportsCenter in like four minutes, so more NFL draft talk with uh, – Todd on SportsCenter on ESPN2. Once again, Mock Draft 2.0 ESPN Plus right now. Todd, thank you very much. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, fellas. All right. Just killed our eardrums. You can't do that without well, warning said, us. You why gotta, are you, you gotta yelling? Warn us when you're going to do well, he said, guys, screaming at him. I just wanted to give him a little scream. <laughs> that was more than a little. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I try. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. I had a little uh, lesson on broadcasting. Keyshawn, I got to get you on this lesson and talk to kids just about how to be a sports broadcaster, how to be like Keyshawn Johnson. They don't do that. No? That's a bad, that's a bad message you're sending to the kids. <laughs> you don't want to be like me. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Fascinating conversation with Jay Billis earlier this morning. As soon as hour four of the podcast drops, likely coming up here at the top of the hour, you can download it. And on the Billis tip, the college basketball season is heating up. That means the Wendy's Wooden Watch has begun. Go to ESPN.com and search Wooden Watch. For the list of the Wooden Award late season top 20 nominees to watch as this season rolls on, the John R. Wooden Award presented by Wendy's, which is something, of course, uh, Jay has won. And in the last several years, last couple decades or so, they've also added a women's Wooden Watch and that's something that I think is long overdue. So Jay's obviously been having that honor, and we'll find out who indeed wins it this year. Jay Billis thinks it's Garza and a runaway for the men of Iowa. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. On the college tip, Jeremy Lin famously played at Harvard after getting no offers. And believe it or not, I am going to invoke a word that many NBA fans remember fondly. It didn't exactly last particularly long, but when you hear the word, say it. Lynn Sanity, we've got a special anniversary for you today. And by the way, Jeremy Lynn, very current, something big happening with him later today, which I'll tell you about in just a second. But let's go back into the Wayback Machine. February 10th of 2012, Jeremy Lynn has maybe the best game of the Lynn Sanity era when at home against the New York Knicks with fans bathing him with chance of MVP, he scored 38 points against the late great Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. The only reason I mentioned Kobe there, Kobe was asked before the game as the Lakers were making their way to New York, what do you know about this Jeremy Lin guy? He'd become a phenomenon. And Kobe said, I know much about him. <laughs> you know, typical style. Like, hey, I-, I ain't sweating that. I don't know who this dude is. Jeremy Lin went off for 38. Lin Sanity had its great moments. It was short-lived. Key, you're a Laker fan. Jay, of course, you follow the league as closely as anybody. Uh, that was a moment. If you were in front of your television, you remember that. 38... On February 10th, 2012, and I will tell you in just a couple minutes why on February 10th, 2021, today, Lynn is back in the news. What do you remember about that night, though? He went, he went nuts. I mean, but he went bonkers for like a, a stretch there in, in general, not just the Laker game. The Laker game is famous, obviously, one part because of what he did. It was like a coming out party. Oh, yeah. To the, to the, the Garden, yeah, the, Lakers. the Lakers. The I Lakers, mean, the Garden, Kobe Bryant. So it was like a coming out party. But then people like Jay and, and myself that kind of know a little bit about sports, you can look at that and go, is this going to stay that way? I mean, you know, when guys are passed over, sometimes it, it they're passed over and they have great long success in careers. But most of the time, it's in spurts. Most of the time. Well, he got that $38 million contract, Zubin. He got a, he got a massive deal off that. Um, look, I think Jeremy Lin is the prime example of staying ready. Injuries happen in the league, and when you get your moment, you shine. And, you know, also, I, I think one of the things that Jeremy is very smart about is, you know, and I went through this when I got drafted, you know, Yao Ming uh, was an all-star. He got voted in to be an all-star every year due to the huge aging following that came along with the game. And I remember conversations around Bill Duffy having this about a guy like Yao Ming, about it's a huge footprint within which the NBA wanted to make a, a unique stance about, hey, sports, we're here. Obviously, Chinese Basketball Association, what they were trying to do in China at the time. So I, I just think that the whole movement behind a guy, when that happened, there's such a massive following in, in Asian basketball about that. And I think Jeremy Lin not only represented that, but he also represented, hey, anybody can do the impossible if you stay ready. And he took advantage of his time. I think you're very well said. That was really well said. I want to mention one other thing 
um, because the NBA's big next market is uh, India. My parents are from India. It's got a billion people. They have 300 million millennials like in the country. It's pretty unbelievable. By 2027, India will be the most populous country on earth. Believe it or not, it will actually pass China. But the one thing we're waiting for, and this is why I think Lynn connected with so many people, besides the fact, of course, that he had the look that many other fans in that market that Jay mentioned uh, in China had. This is really important. I think that sometimes this gets overlooked, and I'll quickly mention why Lynn is back in the news here in a second. A lot of times when you have like a Simbular, you have to be like so hardcore NBA to know that. That's actually like a big Indian seven-footer. Or you're a Yao Ming that's seven-foot mm-hmm. six. What the league needs is they need like a 6'2", and this is why Lynn worked. Not just like a guy who's there because his genetics are what they are. His mom was 6'7", and his dad was 6'8", and he happens to be from a foreign country. Stick your hands up in the air and be Mark Eaton in the lane like Manute Bull. <laughs> Relatable, Zubin. What they, yes. They need like an Indian guy or a Chinese guy that's like 6'2", and he can dribble, and he can pass, and he can shoot. He's not just up there to hold his hands and block shots. And, you know, that's, what I, that's the real evolution of basketball. That's when you know it will have taken hold in the country. Because to dribble, pass, and shoot, you need tons of hours, thousands of hours of work, which is proof that somebody's actually investing in the country. Again, if you're just a big guy, got nothing against you, you won the genetic lottery. But if you want to just stand up there and do this the whole time in the lane, that's fine. But you really do need, for some of these other countries, I need a homegrown guy that just bypassed soccer and cricket. Like basketball is his first love. He worked on his game, he has a shot. I don't know when that player is coming from the Far East. I mean, Lynn had it for a moment, as Key said, spurts. But when that player arrives, it's going to be different. Jay, I want to uh, ask you both about this. Today, Jeremy Lynn returns to the G League. The G League is back. It's going to be in the Bumble. Every team actually had to pay. Every NBA team that's a parent had to pay $500,000 for their team to go to the G League. That's a lot of money in the pandemic. So some teams are actually not going to the bubble. But if you're there, the Warriors are. The Santa Cruz Warriors makes sense. Jeremy Lynn, California, large Asian population following the Warriors, the Bay Area, the whole thing. They will take on a team called Team Ignite, and that'll be at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2, so an hour after we're off the air. And, Key, you mentioned it with Jalen Green, a guy maybe people don't know, Dacia Nix. There's some of these guys you're going to get to know. Team Ignite is essentially a bunch of dudes that is using the G League to prep for the NBA and circumventing college. So you can see Lynn, a little nostalgia, and all the great kids on the way up, Team Ignite and the Santa Cruz Warriors, the G League, ESPN2, 11 a.m. Eastern today. And Brian Shaw, former NBA champion with the Lakers and coach of Denver Nuggets, one of your squads. He was there one Zubin. and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's coaching, he's coaching uh, Team Ignite. I, I, it's going to be fun to see. I think it's just going to give a different perspective, Jay, on what some of these kids that thinking about being one and done could potentially go to the G League and turn out to be and make money sooner rather than later. Uh, it's going to be great to watch. And I'm, I'm chiming in at 11 o'clock because I, I went down to the G League. I played for the Austin Turles on my ride back. Uh, that's when we lost Coach Dennis Johnson, you know, incredible Boston Celtic player, rest in peace uh, for him. But it was such a unique experience, and I think it's going to be incredible watching these young kids who come from social media superstardom, right, like Jalen Green – Thousands and thousands of followers on social media, and they are extremely talented. But when you go down to the G League, you're going down people who are making, you know, X amount of thousand dollars per year, not a lot of money. And they are scraping. They're clawing. They are fighting for a job each and every day. And I think this is going to be the first kind of acknowledgement for them to understand that this is a job. 
and people are trying to come out and take your head off each and every game. So, yes, they will be talented, and they will have a chance to be drafted high, but we're going to see how they interact with grown-ass men, Key. With That's full be beards with car seats in the back. Exactly. <laughs> and, Towel payments do. Yes. And after they're done, maybe they go to medical school and put on the white jacket of the pen behind the ear. But that, that's later, if that indeed becomes the case. want to quickly mention here with the G League, it's, it's a path to success for a lot of people, man. Nick Nurse was in the G League, right? Uh, Austin Torres, you mentioned, Jay. If I'm not mistaken, Quinn Snyder, who's the head coach yes. of maybe one of the best teams in the NBA, he was with head the Austin coach. Toros, right, on the way back to the NBA. So again, tonight, uh, today, 11 a.m. Eastern and an hour from now, ESPN2, the Santa Cruz Warriors with Jeremy Lin on the anniversary of the nexus of the apex of Lin Sanity takes on Team Ignite, the stars of the future. Greeny is next with Tony Dungy and Brian Greasy. Tomorrow on our show, the three-time Daytona 500 champion, Danny yeah. Hamlin. They'll be rubbing and racing Sunday, and we will see you on Thursday. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.